Well, good morning and welcome to Northridge Church. Man, we're jazzed and excited that you're here this morning. Whether you're joining us from Webster, Greece, Aranacoit, or Henrietta, or you're hanging out with us online, or you're going to watch us later, man, we're excited that you've joined us for this holiday series. And if you're a guest with us, man, I want to just say a special welcome. I know during the holiday season, people come and check out church, and I know it takes courage to, to walk into the doors of a church. And I just want to say thank you for being here this morning. And the holidays are, are right around the corner. I mean, Christmas is just around the bend. And what's interesting is there's this constant theme in Christmas. We talked about this as we are making room. We're making room for all the things that the holidays bring, the decorations, the trees in our schedules. And what's interesting is we started this series called Making Room, where we're talking about the characters in the first Christmas that we don't know a whole lot about, but what's interesting is you study their story and you read their story, you realize that they had to make the same choice that you and I have to make. What are we going to make room for in our Christmas? They had to make room for what Christmas was ultimately about, and we kind of gave this series a tagline, a summary statement, and it's this, as we all have to understand is what we make room for in our Christmas will define our Christmas. Ultimately, what we indulge in in this holiday season, what we spend our money on, and what we make room for in our schedules will really define what Christmas is to us as a family. And we started this series by looking at the first character. He's a main character, but he's really not that well known. It's the stepfather of Jesus. His name was Joseph. And we looked at Joseph's story, and we realized how God can take the unplanned, unpredictable moments in our life, the devastating, the terrible, and he can use them to push us to a destination. And he did that in Joseph's story, but Joseph had to make room for the obedience to follow God's call on his life. And today we're continuing in this series, and we're going to look at the second character of the first Christmas, really a group of characters. They're known as the shepherds. Now, before we dive into their story, I want to give you kind of a broad context of what a shepherd was like in this culture. Who was a shepherd? You see, you have to realize that in, in this culture, a shepherd was much like the average Joe in our culture. They weren't really that important to society. They were just shepherds. They were there. In fact, a shepherd probably was passed down his job. His father was a shepherd. His grandfather was a shepherd. It was this generational job that when you grew up, you just knew you would be a shepherd. To the greater context of the world around them, shepherds were really insignificant. They were overlooked, not really that valuable, important to what was going on in the world. They were just there. They were just shepherds. And hopefully that gives you a glimpse into what a shepherd was like. And I think we can relate to the shepherds. Because maybe you feel like that about your life today. You feel overlooked, undervalued, and ultimately you feel insignificant. I think some of us, we can relate right now in our current day and age. We can relate to the shepherds because that's how we feel about our life right now. We feel insignificant to the greater purpose around us. I know a time in my life when I felt like that. You see, I was just graduating Bible college. I was 20 years old. I'd been married for a year. And I was gearing up to start applying for my first pastoral job. I wanted to be a youth pastor. And I don't know if I just had really poor expectations or I just thought I, be I was better than what I really was, but I started applying and applying and I thought realistically, like, I'd get a job in about four months. I mean, I seem like a pretty nice guy. I'm not that scary. I love kids. Like, why wouldn't someone hire me? Six months later into that journey, 
I haven't even heard back from a church. Like, no one even bothered to tell me no. I was that bad that people didn't even want to even respond to my email. Man, it felt like a joke. So finally, a little bit later down the road, I got a couple interviews. And I thought, man, this was it. Like, this was my chance. All I wanted to do was get my feet wet in ministry. I just wanted to serve the Lord. Like, I was ready, God. Come on, like, like just give me a job. And I'd have interview after interview, and I'd hear those words over and over again. No, we're going to go with somebody else. And it got to the point where one night I just collapsed in bed next to my wife, and I was in tears. And I just thought, man, why am I so insignificant to every church around? Do I just, am I not that talented? Like, I thought I would have a job. What's wrong with me? And I think we can relate to that because maybe we've been there. We feel insignificant in our role. We feel insignificant in our life. And what's interesting is we look at the shepherd's perspective. And what I love about God is God often chooses the least likely and to do the most significant. Isn't that amazing about God that he can take the people that we would overlook. God can take the least talented the people that we would never pick on our team, and he chooses them, and he does some of the most significant through them. Not about you, but that excites me. That gives me hope for my life, that God can use me, that God has a purpose for me. Even though I feel insignificant at times, God can do something significant through me. And we see this in the story of the shepherds. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Luke chapter 2, you can turn there on your iPad, your iPhone. You can follow along on the screens. You can jump into the Northridge app. You can use a droid if you want to. I'll pray for you. If you hopefully you'll get there. <laughs> the Lord will forgive you. <laughs> or you can jump into the Northridge Bible that we provide. It's going to be page 832. And what's interesting is we look at this, these shepherds. As you look at the past, God has a history with shepherds. God has used shepherds before. You go back to the Old Testament, you will see that God has chosen shepherds before. We, we start with a man named Moses. Moses, who was adopted into the family of Pharaoh, he ended up killing an Egyptian, fleeing from that. God took him out of Egypt to prepare him as a shepherd. We pick up a story in Exodus 3, verse 1. It says, one day Moses was tending the flocks of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And so here we find Moses, a shepherd, and God comes to him and he says, hey, I want you, yes, you, a shepherd, to deliver the nation of Israel out of bondage. But that wasn't the only shepherd that God used. A pretty popular name in the Bible. You might have heard it before. His name was David. Samuel comes to David's father looking to anoint the next king of Israel. And look what it says. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Here's the next king of Israel. And guess what he is? A shepherd. And the greatest shepherd of them all. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. John 10, verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so you see God's history with shepherds, and this is what it speaks to us in current day. No matter who you are or what you do, you are significant to God. No matter who you are or what you do, you matter to God. And I just believe this today. I believe that someone needed to hear those words at one of our campuses. Because right now you don't feel like you matter to anybody. Right now you feel like you're really not that significant. And I want you to understand, we're going to see all throughout this story that God picks lowly, insignificant shepherds 
and he invites them to the, one of the greatest stories in history. And it doesn't matter who you are today, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or the most successful businessman. It doesn't matter what you do, what job you hold, or if you're jobless. You are significant to God. You matter. You're valuable to God. And we live in a culture today that battles with significance. All you have to do is turn on the news. Because you will see people who don't feel they're valuable enough to keep their own life. And so they decide to to give up, to throw in the towel. Just this last couple months, I received two phone calls. Two phone calls from friends who informed me that two buddies of mine felt like they didn't matter enough, and so they took their lives. They were twins. They served in our armed forces. And from the outside, it seemed like everything was okay. But on the inside, they didn't feel valuable enough to hold on to their life, and so the oldest started, and a month later, the youngest went. And maybe you're there this morning, where you just don't feel significant. You're fighting this battle of worth, and I want you to know that no matter what anybody says around you, you are valuable to God. You are significant to God, and he wants to use you for a great purpose, so don't give up. Keep fighting. He loves you. And we see this in this story. We pick it up in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And so we pick up the scene. There's shepherds doing what shepherds do. They're hanging out. It's nighttime, and they're watching over their flocks. They're probably looking for predators or other animals that would come and try to steal one of their sheep. They're just hanging out, doing what Normal shepherds do. It's a normal day in the office for these shepherds. But what's interesting is scripture says that there's shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Well, where in the heck is nearby? We know that nearby is Bethlehem because earlier in Luke chapter 2, it says Joseph and Mary headed to Bethlehem because of a census. Now, that's interesting and that's very significant that these shepherds are nearby Bethlehem because a lot of scholars believe that these shepherds were actually raising flawless sheep, spotless sheep to be sacrificed for the nation of Israel. You see, you got to understand in this culture, you didn't just go to God and say, God, I messed up. Will you please forgive me? It happened on the Day of Atonement. It was one day when a high priest would take a spotless, flawless lamb and they would sacrifice it for the sins of the nation of Israel. Spotless sheep were used, according to the Old Testament, a lot in this culture to be sacrificed. And so these shepherds are raising flawless, spotless sheep. But their day is about to change. Verse 9, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. So a normal day at the office until an angel shows up. Wow, that's different. And I always wondered when I, when I read this passage what this must have looked like. I mean, the scripture says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. I just wish I could get a glimpse of what that must have been like. And the shepherds are watching their sheep, and then all of a sudden an angel is in the sky, and there it is, the glory of God. I mean, it must have been magnificent and beautiful. I just want a glimpse of what that even must have looked like. We know that it freaked the shepherds out because it says they were terrified. 
I mean, here they are experiencing God's glory and they're frightened. And if we can contextualize that, it's probably like that moment in our lives when, you know, your boss texts you like, hey, we need to meet. Or maybe your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend texts you, hey, we got we to gotta talk. And, you know, you, immediately your heart sinks and you're like, am I about to lose my job? Like, what did I do? Did I mess up something royally? Like, okay, is my girlfriend or boyfriend going to break up with me? Like, what's going on here? That's exactly how the shepherds felt. They're just watching their sheep, and then there's an angel in God's glory, and they're like, oh, wow, we're screwed. But the angel says, I bring you good news. Not just good news, the best news, the greatest news. It's like that moment, you know, you step into your boss's office and he says, you've done a fantastic job. I want to give you a promotion. You step into the restaurant and your boyfriend says, will you marry me? You were scared to death, but now everything changed because you've just received good news. And here was the news, verse 11. It says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. So here's the news. The Messiah is here. Jesus has come. So the angel tells the news to the shepherds. And then something really significant happens in verse 11 on two folds. One personally for us and then one theologically. I'll start with the theology. Because remember, these are shepherds raising flawless sheep to be sacrificed. And so when they hear the news that Jesus has come, remember what Jesus is referred to in John chapter 1, verse 29. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, this was job security for these shepherds. They were about to lose their job because Jesus coming meant they no longer had to raise spotless sheep because the Lamb of God was here who was going to take away the sins of the world. The sheep that they raised were no longer needed. But what's significant is the angel says to these shepherds, this will be a sign to you. Here's your sign that this is real. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Now it's interesting. The angel never said to these shepherds where Jesus would be located. So how in the world did they know where to go? How in the world did they know where they would find Jesus? And a lot of scholars believe this is a direct reference to where Jesus was going to be born. Because these shepherds knew the sign the angel was talking about. You see, a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger was very familiar to them because there was a place in Israel called Migdal Edar, or the Tower of Flocks. It was a place that shepherds knew on a regular, went to on a regular basis. In fact, Micah chapter 4, verse 8 says this. It says, as for you... Watchtower of flocks, that's also known as Migdal Edar, stronghold daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. And so this location of Tower of the Flocks or Migdal Edar was this tower, this turret outside of Bethlehem. And it was about two stories high. And what shepherds would do is they would come to this location. It was located in the fields. And most shepherds would go to the top. It gave them perspective so they could watch over their sheep. It gave them sight lines to see if anything was coming so they could protect their sheep. But the bottom of it was, a lot of historians believe, was used for a birthing center. 
a birthing center that they would take a, a lamb that was pregnant and getting ready to give birth and they would bring it in this bottom floor and they would birth the baby sheep. They would, it would be flawless, it would be spotless. And what they would do is they would wrap it in claws and lie it in a manger because they had to stay true to the Old Testament law of things, restrictions that these lambs needed to hold to. And so the sign to these shepherds was that they would wrap them in clothes and lying in a manger. They knew exactly where that took place. It was at this tower of flocks. And I find that so interesting. But on a personal level, what does this mean for us? Because I think a lot of us, we wish in our life these words, an angel would come to us and say these words to us, this will be a sign to you. Because I think whether we recognize it or not, a lot of us are are waiting on a sign from God. We're waiting on God to, to give us a sign, to make a decision. We're waiting on God to, to, to show us that he's actually real. And I, I would ask you that question, are you waiting, are you looking for a sign from God? Because I think it pans out this way for us. I think as Christians, as people who know Christ and are following Christ, we wait on God for a sign to give us guidance on a big, decisions we're, a big decision we're about to make. Whether it's which college should I go to, should I marry that girl or not? Should I buy this house or that house? Should I take this job or that job? You see, in life, we make a lot of decisions. And as a Christ follower, we go to God and we, we might not say it exactly like this, but it kind of comes out like this. Hey, God, I need help making this decision. Will you just give me a sign? Will you just show me what you want for me in my life? Would you give me a sign? Would you write it in the clouds? Would you reveal it to me? But maybe some of you today, you can relate to the opposite side of that, where you're waiting on God to give you a sign that he's actually real. Because you've been checking out church, you've been reading about Jesus, and you've even felt Jesus speak directly to you, but you're just not sure yet about this whole Christianity and following God. And so you've said this, okay, God, if you're real, would you show me a sign? Would you make it clear to me? Would you make it evident? Would you write it in the clouds? Would you do something miraculous for me? Show me a sign, God. I think a lot of us are there. We're waiting God to, for God to reveal himself through a sign. And I think what I would say to you this morning is instead of waiting on a sign from God, you need to make room for the sign that he already gave. Instead of waiting for God to do the miraculous, instead of waiting for God to write it in the clouds for you, why don't we just make room in our lives for the signs that God has already given? Because I think these words are personal to us. And this will be a sign to you and to me. Do you realize that Jesus is the greatest sign of God's activity in our life? Do you realize that Jesus coming from heaven and being laid on a cross to die for our sins is the greatest sign that you will ever see of God's activity, that God is real, and that he radically loves us? I mean, Jesus is really the only sign that we need from God, but God gives us more. The second one is his word. You have God's love letter to you. You have access to it every single day on your iPhone, in a book form, or however you like it. You can get it that way. We have God's actual words written to us as Christ followers and as non-believers, where we have access to what God is saying to us. It's a sign. Maybe you want a sign that God's real. You don't realize all you have to do is open up your door to your apartment Open up your door to your home, step outside, and go look at all the things God has created. 
the beauty and the majesty of his creation, it screams out, I'm real. I'm alive and I'm evident. So you want a sign, God's given us signs. We just got to make room for them. We just got to open our eyes to them that all around it says even the rocks cry out to God. But yeah, we have to make room for them. And just when you think this story couldn't get any better, verse 13 happens. It says, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. And so just as the story couldn't get any better, it gets better. Because the angel is done telling the shepherds what's about to take place, that the Messiah has come. And then all of a sudden, filled in the sky is this company of heavenly hosts. Now, what the heck does that mean, really? What is a company of heavenly hosts? I looked it up in the Greek language. It means an army. An army of heavenly hosts. Some scholars believe that it was thousands of angels and heavenly hosts in the sky. Some say it was millions. Some say they matched the stars. Can you imagine the scene? This sky is just filled with angels and heavenly hosts praising God. What an amazing scene. I mean, if you were a shepherd, you kind of looked over to the next shepherd and you're like, man, I'm glad I showed up to work today. This is awesome. An amazing moment. And, and right here is that pinnacle moment in the story. It's the pinnacle moment in our story. Shepherds have all the information. The shepherds know what the angels said. And that's true about our, our lives, is we know all the information. We know what Christmas is really about. Will we make room? Will the shepherds make room in their schedule? Will these shepherds make room in their job occupation of taking care of their sheep? Will they be okay leaving their sheep for a moment and going experience Jesus? Will they make room? And it's the same question you and I face. It's what this series is built on. Will I make room for what God is speaking to me now? Verse 15, it says, the angels, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which is the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So the shepherds, they hurry off and they go find Mary and Joseph. And here's this moment. And I just find it so fascinating and so interesting that of all the people that God could choose to invite to the birth of his son, he picked insignificant, lowly, overlooked shepherds. I mean, this is Jesus. This is God in flesh. And he picks random shepherds out in the field who no one really cares about. And he says, I want you to meet my son. Wow. Can you imagine that moment for the shepherds? All their life, they felt insignificant. All their life, they've been overlooked. And here, they get to gaze into the eyes of the Savior of the world. They get to look into the eyes of Jesus, the gospel breathing out loud right in front of them. I mean, can you imagine what that must have been like for them? The honor they must have felt, the significance they must have felt. 
And if I was the director of the movie, like, okay, this is beautiful. Let's finish it right here. I mean, this is the pinnacle of the story where the shepherds make room for Jesus. They see Jesus. That was fantastic. That was amazing. Cut. Let's go home. Wow, that was awesome. But that's not where the story ends, interestingly enough. You would think, okay, they saw Jesus. And it would end right there. But the story continues. Verse 17, it says this. It says, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about them, what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So the shepherds meet Jesus, they see Jesus, they gaze into Jesus' eyes, and then they leave. And it says the moment they left, the shepherds couldn't stop talking about Jesus. They couldn't shut up about Jesus because they just saw the gospel. They just experienced the gospel living and breathing right in front of them. And when they left, they just couldn't stop telling everybody who they encountered about Jesus. Like, I got to tell you about what I experienced. I got to tell you about what I just saw with my own eyes. And shouldn't that be true about our lives? Because I've met Jesus. I've had an encounter with Jesus where he saved me from my sin. And a lot of you have had that same encounter where you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you experience the gospel. And the truth is, is when you meet Jesus, it should lead you to a place where you can't stay silent anymore. You can't stay silent anymore. When you experience Jesus and you fall in love with Jesus and you realize what he did for you and the sacrifice he made for you, it should lead you to a place where you just can't shut up. You just got to tell people. You just got to go for it because of what Jesus has, has done. And this isn't new in our culture. I mean, we do this all the time. You go to a great movie. You experience an awesome restaurant. You watch a hilarious video on YouTube. What do you do? You tell people about it. Man, you should check out this restaurant. It's amazing. We got some really good restaurants in Rochester. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but when you go there and you're like, you, you don't just go home like, oh, that, that meal was amazing. I'm just not going to tell nobody. That movie was awesome. Let's keep it quiet. We don't want anybody to know. No, you can't shut up about it. Like, dude, you got to go. In fact, I loved it so much, I'll go again. And when I read this, I just felt so convicted. Because the greatest thing that has ever happened in my life is Jesus. And somewhere along the course of life, I've gone silent. You would think that someone who saved me from my sin, who redeemed me and gave my life purpose, the greatest gift that I have ever experienced, you would think in my life I wouldn't shut up about it, that I would tell everybody I encounter about Jesus, but somewhere along the way, I just decided to be quiet. And maybe you can relate. Have you gone silent? Have you just kind of, you know fallen into this trap of numbness of what Jesus did for you? Because in the holiday season, I'm so guilty of talking about the lights and, Chris and the tradition of Christmas that I miss out on the person of Christmas. I'm so busy enjoying, oh, Christmas is beautiful and it's amazing. I forget what it's all about. These shepherds, they saw Jesus and they left talking about Jesus. They told everybody. 
man, we want to change our city. We want to be, have an impact on Rochester. It doesn't happen by us staying silent. I think the problem with the church today is Christians have gotten so numb where they don't tell anybody about Jesus. And this is a powerful reminder in my life and in our life that we can't stay silent anymore. It's time we declared what Christmas is all about because you turn the TV on, there's commercials telling everybody else what Christmas is not. It's time we stood up and told the world what Christmas is really about. It's time we started saying, hey, Jesus is the reason. But we've gone silent. And the world has overpowered us with its message. And listen, I'm not telling you today to go pick up a bullhorn and find the nearest corner and tell people they're going to turn or burn. If you do that, I promise you, I will go tackle you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> but you see, I think we begin to change our city and we begin to change the world around us by just one conversation. One conversation at work, one conversation at our college or our high school or our middle school, one conversation in our neighborhood, one conversation with a family member. You see, I think that's where it starts. It starts by living pi squared where we pray, God, give me opportunities. Give me opportunities with the relationships that I have. Help me invest and love the people who are around me so ultimately I can tell them about what Christmas really is to me and how it's changed my story and then invite them to who Jesus is. You see, I think we, 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 we complicate it in church where we have to have this amazing strategy to reach the city, but if the people of God would just start talking about Jesus where they're at and have conversations about what God has done in their life and in their story, I think we'd start changing our city. If we would just become like the shepherds, where we would just say, hey, wow, Jesus is the greatest gift I've ever received, and I won't stop talking about Jesus until I die. So I would challenge you, and I would challenge me, just this week, start with one conversation. One conversation at your office, one conversation with a coworker, a classmate, a friend, a family member, to tell them about what Christmas is really about. To make room in your heart to not be silent anymore. Will you pray with me? God, I know it's easy in my own heart, in my own life, to just become numb and silent. And God, I pray I wouldn't be that way anymore, that I live pi squared, that in my neighborhood and, and the people I interact with every day, I, I look at it as an opportunity just to invite them to who you are. I pray that you challenge our church, every single individual, to have conversations, to grab invite cards to Christmas Eve and say, hey, would you check this out? Would you come check this out? This is what Christmas means to me. I would love for you to experience it. So God, give us a passion and a boldness to live out the gospel, to not be silent anymore, but to go for it, to be bold and courageous and make room for you in our Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.